Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today, and we've made it to Wednesday. It's October 21st. I'm Nyla Boudin. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Washington's first major blow to big tech. Plus, we go back to back to the future. First, though, our scoop on Israel's secret diplomacy is today's one big thing. Last month, agreements brokered by the Trump administration between Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain sent shockwaves throughout the Middle East. There are now four Arab nations that recognize Israel, and the Trump administration sees this as an important step for strengthening stability in the region. But there is an interesting backstory here. Barack Ravid is the author of the Axios from Tel Aviv newsletter, which launches today. And he's here with an exclusive that shows just how long these deals have been in the works. This is actually a fascinating story because for the last 11 years, Israel had a secret diplomatic mission in Manama, the capital of Bahrain, which was disguised as a commercial consulting firm. Israeli diplomats were there, but they were undercover as private businessmen. And they even had fake LinkedIn accounts giving all of their business experience, business experience that they never had. Barack, what's Israel's motivation for all of this, both for the secret diplomacy before and now the public relationship that now exists? Trade and commerce and security and intelligence. But I think that above all that, the Israeli wish to be accepted as part of the region and not as some sort of a external implant in the region as This is how Arab countries looked at Israel for a very long time, for decades. How much does having a common enemy of Iran help relations between the two nations? In the Bahraini case, I think this is reason number one, reason number two, and reason number three. Because you have to remember that the Iranians are 60, 70 miles from Bahrain on the other side of the Gulf. So it's a real threat. Many Bahraini officials see this agreement with Israel as a sort of, let's say, insurance plan against the Iranians. Can we ask, if you were to look at it from the American perspective, what should we take away from this? You know, you're two weeks from elections, and the last four years in America were all about yes, Trump or no Trump. And you're not that uh, special because here in Israel, we're also divided and it's very similar. And I think that what happened with the agreements between Israel and the UAE and this agreement between Israel and Bahrain was that it mixed up a lot of people because all of the people who say, yes, diplomacy, yes, let's work for peace agreements, all of those people all of a sudden don't know what to do because if they support it, they support Trump. It's the same thing in Israel. So I think that this is the tragedy because on the one hand, it's really a landmark achievement and something really historic. On the other hand, because everything is so politicized, many of the people that should be the base for such a development are having a very hard time supporting it. And it's uh, actually, it's, it's quite sad. And Barack, there's another country to discuss, Sudan. On Monday, President Trump announced he's going to be removing Sudan from the State Department's state terrorism list. How likely is a deeper relationship with Israel to follow? The Sudanese in the last year, started getting closer and closer to Israel. And they needed help from the Israelis to open doors, the State Department and at the White House. And the Israelis did that because they understood that the new leadership in Sudan 
really has a chance to change this country and to take it to a more democratic future. And in the last few weeks and months, there was a deal that the White House was working on with the Sudanese. Part of the deal was the U.S. removing them from the terrorism list. And what the Americans asked from the Sudanese is, okay, if we do this, are you going to normalize relations in Israel? So President Trump on Monday sent this tweet saying he is ready to remove Sudan from the U.S. State Department terrorism list. And I think that there's a very good chance that we'll see within days, Sudanese also making an announcement on normalization with Israel. And all of those elements will get us, hopefully, to a better place. Barack Ravid writes the Axios from Tel Aviv newsletter, which launches today. Thanks, Barack. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what you need to know about the new antitrust lawsuit against Google. Welcome back to Axios Today. Yesterday, the Department of Justice in 11 states filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google. It accuses the tech giant of monopolizing the online search market. Ashley Gold covers tech for Axios in Washington. Ashley, what exactly is the DOJ accusing Google of? The DOJ is accusing Google of monopolizing online search through various means. That's how it enters into arrangements with phone companies like Apple and Samsung to get Google search as the main search on those phones. It is how it uses its own products, such as local reviews or its travel booking services, to put its own results over the results of its competitors. What's Google's response to this, Ben? Google's response is that this is all totally unfounded. They say that a case like this would be to the benefit of competitors and not consumers. And American antitrust law is designed to benefit consumers and not to make the marketplace more fair. They feel very confident about their legal argument here, and I think they'd be willing to take this to court if they had to. So we're going to have to see how it plays out, but Google is prepared to fight. Are there going to be more lawsuits? There are definitely going to be more lawsuits. Other attorneys general, including Attorney General Tish James of New York and the Attorney General in Utah, said today that they plan on moving forward with their investigation, which is looking into other aspects of Google's business, and we can expect to see legal action from them soon. For people who are just know Google as a search engine and maybe have seen this headline, why does this matter? Honestly, it's a good question. We're finally grappling with how big these companies are and what they may have done to the market and how their quality may have diminished over the years. And the DOJ and enemies of Google would argue that Google used to be great and its quality has gotten worse. And it's because it doesn't have to innovate anymore because it's the biggest. It's what everyone uses. And so it's gotten comfortable and it's not as effective anymore. And it used to be a portal to the rest of the web. And now it tries to be the whole web and quality has to diminish when that happens. Ashley Gold covers technology for Axios from Washington, D.C. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Before we end the show, today is officially Back to the Future Day. We're living in the future that Marty McFly and Doc Brown traveled to in their DeLorean time machine. To be exact, five years from that point. Where are we? When are we? We're descending toward Hill Valley, California at 4.29 p.m. 
on Wednesday, October 21st, 2015. The scene with that date in Back to the Future Part 2, when the two have to face flying taxis and hoverboards, is what launched the unofficial holiday. And in honor of it, the team behind the trilogy is re-releasing the movies for superfans in 4K Ultra HD. Or, if you just want to watch it on TV, the Sci-Fi Channel is celebrating with an all-day marathon. Great Scott! You can also see me later today at 5 p.m. Eastern time for an Instagram Live with Axios co-founder Mike Allen. We'll be answering your election questions, including when ballots are going to be counted. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. Until then, I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.